This week's guest is Louise Wilson Cormier, who's the owner of Wilco Fine Beverage, an Ontario-based beverage alcohol agency. Louise is also an accredited master of wine, of which there are only 10 in Canada. We have a terrific interview with Louise where we talk about how Louise got her start in the industry. We discuss the path and steps required to become a member of the Institute of Master of Wine. And we cover the process of getting a product into the LCBO. Make sure you check out Louise's portfolio of products at wilcofinebeverage.com and check the show notes for all the links. Enjoy the show. Okay, we're back with another episode of the Industry Podcast. I'm Kip. This is Dan. What's going on? Not too much. You know, just another week back at work as usual. So making the world go around as I always do. Mm-hmm. What about yourself? How are things going with you? Everything's good. Oktoberfest is finally over. So uh, hopefully yes. we can get some business again up in this town. Yeah, I guess we're moving into the Christmas season, actually. Well, I guess Halloween first, Halloween, but still Christmas party Christmas times. parties, it should be good. Should be yeah, good. nice. How's uh, things going at the three bars? Well, we just went off Oktoberfest, so that obviously was not great. Um, but uh, like you said, good things to come. And if you wanted to book a Christmas party, oh, let's one do that. Out. Yeah, you should reach out. Uh, <laughs> it's, you can reach us directly by email, info at sugarrun.ca or at Sugar Run Bar on Instagram for the Speakeasy in Kitchener, at Babylon Sisters Bar or Janine at babylonsisters.ca if you want to book at the Babylon Sisters Bar in Uptown Waterloo. Or at Argyle Arms in Preston, it's hello at argylearms.ca or on Instagram at argyle underscore arms underscore 2023. Should add a couple more underscores in the name. I know, right? (laughs) Maybe a few more numbers. (laughs) <laughs> get a dollar sign involved <laughs> and if you're so that check out all those bars if you're in the tri-city area also christmas parties are coming so book now in addition if you're enjoying what we're doing on the show here you should subscribe rate and review you're already listening to the show right now which means you had to bring the show up on your feed on whatever platform you listen to so the subscribe button's right there just hit it just hit it it's easy yes helps a great deal rating and reviewing is a little more effort but we appreciate that too five stars only if you want to be a guest on the show it's uh info at the industry club by email or at the industry podcast on instagram where you'll find the wonderful artwork by zach hanna at zach hanna.co z-a-k-h-a-n-n-a-h.co for all of your graphic arts needs always a huge thank you to zach for the great work he does for us And I think that's about enough about us. We'll bring in our guest right now. Louise Wilson-Cormier is joining us. How are you? I'm doing good, Kip. Thanks very much for having me. Well, thanks for doing this. We met a few weeks ago when you reached out an offer to taste wine for your wine portfolio, uh, your own company, Wilco, W-I-L-C-O. Well, let's just start right now. Tell people where they can find that on the internet or on Instagram. Yep. So my agency is Wilco Fine Beverage and it's wilcofinebeverage.com or we're also on Instagram under Wilco Fine Beverage. Mm-hmm. So we got talking and I learned a lot about you during the time we were just drinking wine together. I can highly recommend Louise's wine agency. It's amazing wine there. And she also reps for a couple of good spots in Niagara-on-the-Lake, uh, Divergence and Good Earth, correct? Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. Thanks so much, Kip. No worries. And so how did you how did you decide on the name Wilco, by the way? 
Well, it, my last name is Wilson Cormier, so it's oh, a I thought of that. Yeah, that that seems way that seems to make sense now that I think about it. <laughs> As opposed yeah. to, I was thinking about the band, which That's is what I was all, thinking too. Yeah. I was thinking the old rock yeah. band, yeah, like in the 2000s, I, so. I do get asked that. Uh, yeah, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the I want to get into talking about how you making the leap to start your own agency, but before that, let's talk a little bit about what we were kind of discussing when we were drinking together, which was how you're one of ten masters of wine in Canada. Yeah, that's right. I am very happy to say I am a master of wine. It's been an exciting journey and I'm I'm happy to talk a little bit about how that went for me. Mm-hmm. So I, I would, I'm just going to give a little primer to listeners who don't know. There are two different programs you can take. There's the Master Sommelier program or there's the Master of Wine program. They're completely separate totally different they obviously both wine education programs but they're not affiliated and in any way so you did the master of wine side i took the w set courses which i guess is on the sommelier side so i'm sort of interested in knowing the differences but we're not going to get uh, into that specifically but let's talk about how you got into wine originally and how you decided to do this program because it's like a massive undertaking Yeah, I'd love to talk a little bit about that. So quite a few years ago, I found myself working in wine retail. I lived in Victoria in British Columbia, and I was working in a really nice wine shop. And I realized my wine knowledge was less than it needed to be. So I just started with the wine courses, you know, thinking I'll just learn a little bit more to um, add to my knowledge here for work. And I started with the International Sommelier Guild. So, you know, there's course one introductory course and uh, took that, finished, realized, hey, I have a lot of questions. There's still a lot more to learn. So I just kept going and then it was, you know, uh, course two and course three. And at the end of that, uh, you graduate as a certified sommelier. And still, I still felt there's so much more to learn in the world of wine. So I went on to WSET and uh, wrote the diploma exams. And during that time, uh, I was working for Andrew Peller Limited, and we had a presentation by a master of wine called Barbara Phillip. And I was so impressed with her presentation, and she really got me interested in the master of wine program. So that uh, that evening after dinner, I asked her all the questions I possibly could, and I decided, even though I still hadn't finished the WSCT diploma, I thought that's definitely what I want to do. And so um, once I finished my WSCT diploma, I applied uh, to become a Master of Wine candidate and went through the program. And how long did that take? Well, it's individual for everyone. The Master of Wine is an institute that uh, started in London, England in the 50s. And basically, if you want to become a member of the Master of Wine, you need to uh, pass a theory uh, exam, a practical exam, and then finally write your own original research. So really how long that takes is depending on the individual. Mm-hmm. For me, it qu- took quite a while. It took yeah. 10 years for me to finish that um, to get through and become finally a master of wine. So it's theory, practical, and then uh, it's a research portion. Yeah. Uh, what did you focus on? So my research was studying Canadian consumers' attitudes towards vegan and vegetarian wine. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was it was really interesting to me, especially because I did the research in 2019 and 20. And so this is even a few years ago now. And I think I think the awareness of, of vegan and vegetarian wine has even increased since then. So mm. I, I found that really interesting. 
Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that there's such a thing as vegan wine or that there needs to be, right? So, <laughs> yeah, because most people wouldn't even consider that wine is not vegan. Yeah, that was one yeah. of the, the starting points of my early research was just realizing that um, quite, you know, quite a few people didn't realize that it might not be. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and then once, you know, we talked about, okay, what it is, you know, sometimes uh Finding agents might be based on animal products. Um, and then we tested, so, you know, their attitudes to, towards vegan and vegetarian wine. Do you feel positive? Do you feel neutral? Do you feel negative? And that was the basis of the research. So it's basically polling a certain amount of people. Like how many people did you question? Oh, okay. This is a few years ago, but yeah. I would say at least a thousand. Some, oh, some. wow. And you know what's interesting is all of the research papers that are done uh, by Masters of Wine uh, in the recent years are posted on the Masters of Wine website. So if you're interested in reading my actual paper or there's so many fascinating topics on the website, those research papers are available to access and the address is mastersofwine.org if if, uh, learning about those kind of things is of interest. Well, I don't want to give away the ending or anything, but like, what did you <laughs> like? I'm just sort of interested since we got you on the show here. What like, what did you find? Like, what was your hypothesis at the end of your paper? Well, what I found was that there were a percentage of uh, Canadian consumers that were that had positive attitudes towards vegan and vegetarian wine. But then there was another um, subset of consumers that had negative attitudes towards vegan and vegetarian wine. So um, it wasn't you know, necessarily one way or the other. So I think my final conclusion at the time, if you had a portfolio um, that you have some vegan and vegetarian wine, but not necessarily all. Mm-hmm. So that was sort of the conclusion I came to based on that research. And what do you think the negative attitudes would be as like sort of like a stigma against vegan vegetarian? Yeah, it, it could be, or just, um, uh, I'm trying to think, you know, just, just maybe a stigma against that, or, you know, could be sort of questioning, you know, is this a marketing, is this marketing information? Uh, just maybe just not understanding it. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe being concerned about is, would it cost more? You know, is it, does it even pertain to me? You know, right. Maybe right. Some of the, some of the reasons why. Uh, interesting. And so when you like, you, when you present this paper, you just have to present it like in thesis form, or do you actually have to present it? Like, do you just hand in the paper? Or do you have to actually pre- make a presentation? No, it's written. Thankfully. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and how long was it? Sorry, these are some technical questions, but I just find it interesting. Do you remember yeah. how long? Uh, yeah. It, well, the, the paper needs to be between six thousand and ten thousand words, and I think my issue was getting it under ten thousand words. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I think mine might have been nine thousand nine hundred ninety or something like that. Yeah. It's crazy. That's a yeah. crazy undertaking. So then, for the theory and the practice, I assume that's just like. Uh, well, and tell me if I'm wrong, but like that's more just furthering wine education, doing writing some exams, like some of this would be tasting, blind tasting. Some of it would be just written exams. Yeah, absolutely. So the exam is held once a year. So you get a chance to to write and pass the exam once a year. And when you first attempt it, you you start by writing the practical, which is the tasting exam and the theory exam together. Uh, currently, the theory exam, it's a five-day exam. Oh, wow. And the, the practical or the tasting part is three of those days. So, you know, uh, I think it goes, you taste in the morning and then you write the theory in the afternoon. So it's it's a pretty intensive week. 
the practical or the tasting basically for each day there's 12 wines in front of you you don't know what they are and you need to identify them based on possibly grape variety uh, region quality commercial positioning winemaking those kind of things so it could be any wine and then the questions could be any of those things i discussed and you need to not just answer what it is but answer your logic behind what it is mm-hmm. so it's actually a really fun exercise I, re- I really enjoy doing that sort of um logical deduction of figuring out what's in the glass Right. Uh, I'm fascinated by that, too. And so it's it's kind of like showing your work in a way like you can't just say, oh, this is what I think it is. It, but you have to show why you think it's that way, uh, that, that that why you think that's what it is. It is kind of a math problem at the end of the day. Right. Like if you know, like obviously you're using your senses to figure out the the um, what the, what you're getting on the nose and then your palate and your finish or whatever is going to give you a roadmap to where you think what kind of, where you, what you think that wine is. Um, yep. So how first do you develop your senses and, and palate to, to just to start with that? Well, I, th- I think it's a lot of this is just experience, you know, um, whether it's, you know, industry experience or, or you filled in your gaps with studying, but basically you have to be familiar with um, what different types of wine are expected you know, to smell and taste like, and structure is a big part of, you know, detecting what's in the glass. I mean, um, tannic structure, acid structure, alcohol, body, those kind of things. Those are all clues, right? And mm-hmm. they, they all add up pointing to a certain direction and, and give you the answer to what the wine is. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's really a fun process to do it that way. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's one of the cooler things because it is like detective work and a math problem, but it's also, you have to use your senses. There aren't many things like that in the world, really. And you're kind of, so you have to fall back on the knowledge that you've studied and learned, but it is also so co-joined with your palate and your sensory experience. Yeah, you're right, Kip. It's really interesting being that the exam is partly physical right? To smell and taste. And it's partly your theory or your knowledge of what you're tasting. What does that mean? So there's really the two sides to it. So yeah, it's really uh, quite interactive. It's crazy. And you like to, to undertake something like that and decide that you want to take do the amount of work that goes into achieving that designation that you have is like, you really have to be passionate about wine. You do have to be passionate about wine, but really I'm passionate about continuing to learn. Mm-hmm. And still at this point, there's there's things that I learn every single day and things are always evolving and changing in the wine world. So there's always more to learn. So I, I would say my first passion is wanting to continue to learn and, and stay in that mode of learning and also of sharing my knowledge. That's a big part of the philosophy of Master of Wine is also to share our knowledge uh, with other people and, you know, make it accessible. And uh, that's really important to me as well. Um, I also like a good challenge. So it it sounded like a great challenge and that really attracted me to it. Mm-hmm. So there's also, I know you mentioned uh, in your bio that there's a sort of code of etiquette that goes with being a master of wine as well. Can you explain that to us? Uh, yeah, a code of ethics. For ethics. Sure. Okay, so- yeah. Yeah. So once you pass, uh, once your research paper is accepted, then the final thing before, you know, your ceremony is 
signing the code of ethics. Um, and, and, and it is really a big part of being a master of wine is because we do represent the Institute. So we want to make sure that we're acting ethically as we, you know, move through our wine business and, and represent the Institute properly. Interesting. So the other thing I was going to ask you about this program, and I don't know if this is even a, a, a situation anymore, but like, I know certainly quite a few years ago, there weren't a lot of women who were going after these types of designations who were, there were prominent women sommeliers, women masters of wine. Was Did you find any roadblocks in that scenario or has that just changed now? In my personal experience, I haven't had uh, any issues like that, although I'm aware maybe in different uh, circumstances there might be. But the Institute uh, very much is about diversity and inclusion, and uh, that's an important uh, part of who we are as well. That's good, because I know that like what well, back in the day, it was sort of an old boys club, the whole wine experience, right? Like, <laughs> so it's good to know that that. <laughs> yeah, well, it, yeah. Again, in my opinion, I haven't faced right. that personally, so I, I can't personally speak to it. I, I've had a, you know, I felt fairly treated in my experience in the wine business. That's good. And so at what point did you decide that you wanted to start your own agency? Because that's a big undertaking as well. Yeah, well, you know, I saw a course online by Charles Stephen Trenholm, and it's called Importing Wines, Beers, and Spirits for Pleasure and Profit. You know, and I had seen that advertised on the inter in a, on Facebook or whatever for a few years, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. Again, I'm always wanting to learn, right? And I'm right. like, well, there's a side of the business that I don't know. Um, so I finally ended up taking uh, his course. And it just, you know, sparked a sparked a bigger interest in me. And I thought, yeah, that that I'm really interested in starting my own business. So what like how do you like it seems like a massive undertaking to me? Like I've opened bars, but like starting an agency, like you have to acquire a product and you have to like you personally have to seek out the wineries that you want to deal with. Like talk to us a little bit about how you started that whole process. Yeah, there's there's different ways to go about it, but certainly um, you you do need suppliers that want to work with you. So uh, for me personally, I ended up going to Vinexpo in Paris, and and there's you know thousands of suppliers there, and so you can set meetings that week and meet with suppliers from regions that you're interested in or or that have wines that you're interested in and taste their wines and meet them directly talk about business, talk about the opportunity in Ontario. And uh, for me, I found that to be a, a really efficient way of meeting with suppliers. And uh, I thought it was a great show. So I ended up doing that and uh, started working with some suppliers. And then everything uh, in Ontario is done through the LCBO. So no agents are actually importing wine. We simply represent uh, the those producers that are producing wine outside of um, Ontario or outside of Canada and all the wine flows through the LCBO but we can promote and uh, represent the wines on their behalf mm -hmm. and when you say that you you sort of you went to this expo and you set meetings with some of the uh, producers that you were interested in so are these wines you had already tried previously 
to, to going to Paris or was it like you went there, went to the show, tried the wines and then set meetings with them? Yeah, no, the, my suppliers are really, um, they're small family producers. And so it was definitely not wine that I had specifically tasted or come across before, but just reading their profiles, knowing the kinds of wines they were making, the fact that it was small parcel wine, that it was a family business. Those were the kinds of um, meetings that I wanted to take when I was at uh, Vin Expo. And so um, yeah, I signed up for uh, meetings and, and likewise, if they were interested in exporting to Ontario, then, you know, we had the mutual interest and, and got together and went from there. What I was looking for really are wines with a, a point of difference. So I, I like, you know, you've tasted some of the wines in, mm. in my portfolio kit. There's there's some really uh, rare in uh, unique grape varieties, and I think one of the one of the most exciting things for me is introducing people to something different. Mm-hmm. So you know whether it's you know some of my wines that I've got with with grape varieties like Rouquet or mm-hmm. Grignolino or Dogly um, Dolcetto, those kind of grape varieties. I think I like to share those with people, and uh, I've also got producers that are producing biodynamic wine or organic wine. So so really. Um, something different and i really like to uh, be able to share those those unique wines with consumers in ontario yeah and that's why like as soon as i started tasting with you it was like this was like a match made in heaven between your agency and my bar because that's exactly what we try and do at babylon sisters which is to offer some great varieties that people are not used to and sort of do a little education with the wine sale and like i know a fair amount about wine i've taken some courses and stuff but like it was amazing the first time you're you're like the first person who showed up to taste with me who had like multiple wines with based on grapes i had never heard of so so, and and with someone who has some wine education so you really do focus on and would you say that that's kind of like the focus of the agency is to sort of some uh, out of the ordinary varietals yeah, definitely out of the ordinary varietals or something special about how the wine is made or where it's made. Mm-hmm. Something, you know, like I said, with a, a point of difference. And yeah, I think you and I do have that in common, wanting mm-hmm. to bring that to consumers. And so, yeah, that was a great tasting. Um, I also really like wines that have a sense of place. So they they taste and they feel like they come from somewhere specific. Mm-hmm. Like that wine, you just wouldn't find anywhere else, you know. Um, and, I, and I really like that about wine. I feel like wine, it's not just delicious and enjoyable. It's also intellectual. Mm-hmm. So I really like thinking about, you know, what was behind this wine or what was behind this grape variety. Like the, the Rouquet that we talked about, for example, that grape variety, you know, it, it's got quite a long history, but it was almost lost you know, in the vines there in Piedmont, but, um, but one priest decided to resurrect it and bring it back. And now it's the pride and joy of Monferrato. So, you know, even though it's still a, a relatively rare grape variety there, you know, it's something that they're very proud of and, and they saved from becoming extinct. And I think that's such a great story and I want to share it with people. Yes, and that Rouquet is available at Babylon Sisters right now. If anyone is listening and wants to come try it, <laughs> it is. It's an it's outstanding time. wine. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's also uh, kind of a good approach 
from a business uh, standpoint too, I know you're maybe, I don't know if that's a factor and you're thinking about this, but like, obviously you are interested in the education and you have a love for wine, but it also does make your agency stand out in that you're doing something different. And there are so many agencies now, and a lot of them are bringing in like the same types of wine because they know that's what sells in like the chain restaurants or whatever. Right. But your, your approach is actually, um, going to make your agency stand out a little bit as something different because you are bringing in these varietals that maybe people haven't heard from. Yeah, I think there's a lot of great agencies out there and a lot of great wine at all different price points. And I think there's a place for all of it. You know, even even um, more mainstream varieties or varieties that we're more familiar with, I think there's definitely a place for those, obviously. Um, but for me, this portfolio reflects what I like. Yeah. And so I guess at this point in, in my career, it's, it's a reflection of what I personally would want to offer my friends and family. And it's a reflection of, of what I wanted to build. So I'm glad that I found people like yourself that share that mm. similar interest. Um, I'm glad there's a market for it, but really it just came from, from my experience and, and my passion as to what I wanted to bring forward. So not so much a conscious desire to make your agency a little bit different, but it just sort of happenstance and it worked out. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, honestly, it did. Yeah. I know that sounds like the world's worst business plan, but I was really <laughs> just following my heart and I ended up with a, a amazing group of uh, producers and uh, some fantastic wines. And so I, I feel really thankful that it worked out. But yeah, it wasn't actually um, a hard plan. It, it's just the way it naturally happened. And how many suppliers do you deal with? Right now, I have fourteen. Right. So, uh, and so, me as uh, like a, a wine purchaser for a bar or restaurant, I really appreciate that because sometimes you there are these massive agencies that have so much, and then I find a lot of the times the reps will come and they can't even remember what they brought me to taste last time because their portfolio is so large. And then often at times they're bringing the same wines that we tried the last time that I didn't buy then. And you know what I mean? Like, so it's, it's nice to have, to me, I really appreciate uh, the agencies like yours that have like a smaller portfolio, really concentrated on really good stuff, but not like this overwhelming list of wine where it's just like, I mean, I don't even, sometimes I get like a, 20 page portfolio. It's like, I'm not even going to read through it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, I, I think my, my portfolio is small, which is, you know, uh, definitely a result of being a new agency. I mean, as, as a new agent, you are limited, mm -hmm. you know, through the LCBO consignment program as to how much wine you can bring in. And I think for our own good, <laughs> you yeah. know, they've got enough history with, uh, with how the agencies work, like to, allow us to grow gradually right and so in time i imagine uh i imagine i will expand but never beyond being able to do the kind of job that i want to do for my producers and never beyond being able to provide the service level that i want for my customers and my consumers so that's the that'll be the max size mm -hmm. as long as i can do the job you know to the extent uh that i want to um that'll be as big as i go and I don't know if you want to talk about this. If you don't, we don't have to, because I know they're, you're a working partnership with them. But do you want to talk a little bit about the challenges of having the LCBO as sort of a third-party intermediary between everything you do? 
Well, you know, I, I mean, I don't see it that way, to be honest oh, with okay. you. I, I do think that there's um, definitely rules in place. And I think it's necessary because it's a, a big operation. I think mm-hmm. these rules have been thought out and uh, it's just trying to make everything work, right? So as long as you know what the rules are and work within them, I think I think it's it's necessary when you're working with an organization of that size. So, um, right, but as opposed to like being, say, in Calgary or BC, where you don't have to deal with that. Definitely, there's you know every market is is got its differences, and you know you compared to Alberta, maybe the you know it's different having the LCBO in place where you wouldn't have a corresponding body like that in. Uh, in Alberta necessarily, but the market would be different too, right? So I think there's always there's always pluses and minuses about any given market. And I think it's just about understanding the market that you're in and uh, making the most of that situation. Yeah, that makes sense. When you're starting out the agency and you're trying, so you said you went to this expo, you're meeting with producers, and I know you have a focus on like we we've already discussed like sort of what you're focusing on and what kind of wines you're trying to bring in. But this is an ever evolving process, right? So, like, talk to us a little bit about your day to day, or I don't know, month to month, or however it is when you're thinking about meeting with producers or going to wine shows or whatever. Like, talk to us a little bit about that whole process of how you go about fine tuning the the list for your agency. Yeah, well, there's just to back up for a moment, there's basically three sort of avenues of doing business as an agent in Ontario. And uh, one, obviously, that we're working in together is uh, the agent promoting wines to licensees, such Mm -hmm. as yourself at Babylon Sisters. So that's one main channel. Another channel to work uh, in is to be able to present the wines of your suppliers to the LCBO for tenders that they have. So um, to fill the LCBO retail shelves, they will put out periodic tenders saying what they're looking for. And if you've got those corresponding wines with your suppliers, you can fill out um, the application and submit submit your wines to those tenders. So that's a whole nother piece of the business. And then as an agent in Ontario, you can also promote your producer's wines to um, individuals. So individual consumers can purchase wines from um, wilcofinebeverage.com. So there's sort of those three those three channels to work in, mm-hmm. and uh, and and there's a lot to do. I mean, one of just one of those channels could be a full time job, right? So mm-hmm. for me, I, I want to work in all three, and and I like all three parts of those that business. So it's a balance between going back and forth between you know the different the different channels there. And at this point, it's just you. It is just yeah. me. Yeah. So that is a lot of work. It's so definitely a full-time gig. And do you anticipate growing to the point where you would hire some additional help in the form of like another rep to maybe handle one of those those uh, branches? Yeah, absolutely. I've thought about it because the opportunity is there. So yeah, if I met the right person and it was a fit and we shared sort of the same philosophy about wine and work and all mm-hmm. of those things, yeah, I definitely would expand that way. Yeah, because that's a lot for one person. Do you find it's an even playing field for like a small agency like yourself that's just sort of a newer one, like getting the wines into the LCBO? Or is it like you fill out the application and everybody gets treated equally? Yeah, I do. I think that is a good system, the way the LCBO tenders are organized, because 
you get to present your wine the same way everybody else does. So mm-hmm. it is one of the things that I really do like about the system is uh, any agent has access to participating in the tenders and we all present our wines the same way. And really it's about, is the wine the right fit for what they're looking for. And then the wines, some of the wines do end up getting selected for a tasting. So the wines have to stand up in the tasting and deliver great value. So yeah, I think that process is is really good and it works for small agencies as well as for large agencies. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of, it's almost like designed so that it helps everyone equally so did you like when you go to the lcbo to present to them is it the same deal you're like tasting wines with what a manager of a given store is it uh like how does that work no the the whole process is done um online to start so uh the lcbo would announce what uh what tenders are, are open what they're looking for in the deadlines you would go through them as an agent and think, oh, yeah, I have that wine. And you'd talk to the producer and see if they wanted to um, participate in that tender. Then the first step is is done online with the application. And you're basically just giving the information about the wine and the price and the volume available, all those kind of things. And the buying group for that particular uh, segment of wine would look at all the applications and make a decision of these are the you know, I don't know, 100 or so we want to taste. And then they would let the uh, agencies know, okay, we need a sample now. And then they would go ahead and taste. And then some of those wines will pass and get selected for being listed and some will not. So, mm. But who's really doing the who's doing the tasting at the LCBO level? Like, is it like, it's not obviously store to store. It's got to be higher up than that. The buying group there okay. that is tastings yeah so, so they have a group a group specifically that buy and now i mean i don't know if you know this but they, is that the same group that does spirits as well like there's just like one buying group that that's a position in the lcbo organization there's definitely departments where they okay. specialize whether it's spirits or wine yeah. or beer and then even by region hmm. so there's somebody in charge and then you know they would have a team of people that are tasting as well but it is uh, broken down by um, beverage type and also by region. And so do you have a bunch of your selections available in the LCBO now? No, as no. a new agent, no, that's, yeah. a, you know, that's a process that does take time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the LCBO is planning quite far out for what they're, what they're bringing onto their shelves. So uh, there's some in the pipeline, but uh, nothing on shelves yet. We need to get somebody from that process on yeah, the show because that's like pretty fascinating to figure out how they decide what they need quote unquote uh at the lcbo at any given time right like who makes those decisions how do they come to those conclusions there's some sort of metric involved i'm sure so yeah i agree that would be a, a very yeah. um so as busy as you are trying to run this whole agency and all these different branches yourself i know a big part of the master of wine certification is like you said earlier passing on the knowledge to other people so are you still involved in teaching courses or anything like that on the side as well do you even have time for that anymore i'm, I'm not teaching uh at the moment but i do have four mentees who are master of wine uh candidates so that are uh, working in the study program right now. So um, I really enjoy uh, meeting with them and talking to them. And I, I, I really do believe it. So I'm not teaching per se, but I'm acting as a mentor. mentoring. Yeah. Um, but I have taught in the past. And I really think teaching is one of the best ways to stay on top of the subject matter and to stay current and involved. So yeah, I, I, 
if I had a bit more time, I certainly would be interested in doing some more teaching in the future. You're right, though, too, because it's like there's so much to know when it comes to wine. Like everything time you think you got a handle on it, you're learning like 15 new things, I feel like. And trying to retain all that knowledge is very difficult. So the only way to do it is to immerse yourself into it all the time, right? Yeah, keep it current, keep it top yeah. of mind. It isn't, there's a lot of information. And if you're not using it, it tends to uh, no longer be top of mind. So yeah, it's great yeah. to keep it fresh. It's like learning a language, right? Like if you're not practicing it at all times, then you kind of lose it. That's true. That's um, true. So, but the mentoring program definitely keeps that fresh for you, I'm sure. Absolutely. And I had a fantastic mentor uh, when I was in the study program too that, um, you know, just really changed the whole experience for me. So I really want to be able to give that back to people as well. Well, it's awesome. I love your agency. I think it's super fascinating what you did. Like the master of wine thing just seems overwhelming to me. So congratulations on even getting that uh, certification. It's an incredible accomplishment. I, it's been super enjoyable me meeting you and getting to try wines with you and getting a little bit of the education even through wine tasting. So uh, it's uh, and we really appreciate you coming on doing the doing the show. So maybe you can just uh, tell our listeners once again where to find your agency online and on Instagram so uh, they can try all these delicious wines. Yeah, thank you so much, Kevin. Thank you, Dan. It was a pleasure talking to you today, and I appreciate the opportunity. So if you're looking uh, for some of our unique varieties, we're at wilcofinebeverage.com. Also, uh, wilcofinebeverage.com on Instagram. We do have a, uh, a portfolio tasting coming up with a group of five boutique agencies on November 4th. I think there'll be a few tickets left by the time this airs. Um, so if you're looking to taste some great wines, we've got Ranger Wine, The Living Vine, Vinda Soft and Emily Craig Import Agency, as well as Wilco Fine Beverage. And if you go under Eventbrite and just search Hidden Gems Wine, you'll find it uh, November the 4th at the Arta Gallery from two to five. So that's uh, one way to interact with us if you're interested or look up tasteandbuy.ca and you'll find uh, all the details on our website. That's a good reminder because I need to come to that show. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I know you sent me the email and it's like you get so many and then I kind of forgot about it, but that's a good one to go to. So, yes, I hope to see you there and probably I'll see you before that because I'm always buying wines from you. So thanks again, Louise. It was a super fun conversation and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Great. Thanks to you both. Thanks, Louise.